All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the, is this the fourth episode, I believe? I think that's right. Fourth episode of The Patient on Hulu called Company. Didn't know it was called Company until right now, by the way, but that's (laughs) what it's called. And uh, once again, written by the showrunners, Joel Field and Joseph Weisberg. I haven't been calling out the directors here. I mean, honestly, these... I don't even know if it is the same director in every episode, but considering that they're in a basement most of the time and then have flashbacks, (laughs) there's nothing really visually distinctive about any of these episodes, but more of the same, not in a negative way, by the way, you know, the show has its template and is doing fine. And this is indeed a different director than last week. I'm not sure why, because you could, I considering how short these episodes are and how generic I would say in, in not necessarily in a negative way, the style is, it's almost like you feel like you could get one director for all of this. And for example, uh, once again, I'll call out the fact that we are covering House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel in this same feed. So check out that most recent episode. And the reason I call that out is because they have used some Game of Thrones alumni directors when they have big action spectacles. And this week was about the princess kind of having a sexual awakening and they have a female director And I was very, very complimentary about the fact that I thought the sex scenes were handled like in a very different way than you're used to seeing in these type of films. And as a matter of fact, there's like a little featurette with the episode. And she specifically talks about how she sees sex in these uh, shows, you know, very unrealistically portrayed. And she wanted to have a very female perspective on it. And I give them credit because they did a really good job. All that is to say that it makes sense to have different directors for different episodes, depending on what the content is. For this specific show, I'm not sure because they're all pretty much the same episode with you know slightly different events occurring. <laughs> and maybe uh-huh. that's my criticism of this episode. I really would just want to talk about your general opinion of the show and, and kind of guessing what the plot is because I'll cover the plot here very quickly. It is pretty simple. And then I'll give you my opinions and we can have a conversation. What we see here is obviously we pick up from the cliffhanger from last week sam this supposed serial killer has returned with his latest captive elias who is indeed a greek restaurateur we only hear his voice but don't see him sounds like he's pretty young he talks about living with his parents still so it seems like he's a very young guy which is a little surprising that this guy is so perturbed by someone who is probably younger than he is i was assuming this was someone who is in a position of power potentially and that is a little surprising. And I will say that, you know, especially early in this episode where we see that at this point, Steve Carell's character, Alan, is having experiencing PTSD or something. He's tossing and turning. He's having nightmares. We see a montage of their treatment sessions together, and we discover a little bit more about their backstory, a little more about Alan, a little bit more about Sam as well. And of course, we also have Alan, I should say, speaking to... Elias through the door. And uh, the biggest thing that happens in this episode is basically Alan tries to convince Sam that rather than killing Elias, he should go to work and follow his regular daily procedure. And we actually see him at work. And what else do we see here? We see the mom comes down at one point. That conversation continues. He does recommend by the end of the episode that Sam go visit his ex-wife, who seems to live somewhat nearby. We find out he's a big... uh, what is it, Kenny Chesney fan <laughs> for mm-hmm. some reason? No Shoes Nation. No Shoes Nation. Oh, and then that's pretty much where we leave it there. And what I'll say in my general impressions here is that this episode almost, <laughs> almost, I'd say about the first half of it, I felt like, oh my God, are we achieving takeoff here? Are we achieving you know, a, a exit velocity? And I felt like the plane was almost coming off the ground. 
And then I guess because the episodes are so sl- uh, so short, by the end, it felt like the plane was <laughs> back on the, de- the ground again, was not able to achieve any kind of uh, uh, liftoff. But it was very close there for a while. I felt that the Elias character, this actor, I had a lot of compassion for him, even though we don't even see him. We just hear him through the door. I did like that we flesh out a little bit more of these characters' backstories through these flashbacks. So I really did feel like this show was maybe just achieving a little bit of momentum. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like we were back down on the ground again, back on the tarmac <laughs> by the end of the episode. But uh, what was your general opinion of it? I think I am probably more interested in Elias than I am in anyone else on this show, yes, which yes. is kind of ridiculous considering he's a disembodied voice at this point. <laughs> yes. I appreciate what you're saying about maybe the show was going to take off. I think, unfortunately, I have checked out to the point where even if it did take off, (laughs) I have very little left (laughs) in the tank as far as caring what happens here. I mean, there is some kind of baseline curiosity, but I don't think I'm going to get sucked into this. Um, I think if I were, it would have happened by now. So yeah, like I'm curious and hey, it's 20 minutes. What's the big deal? Right. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the absurdity of the mother here i don't Mm -hmm. know unless there is going to be some kind of giant revelation that makes it all make sense i mean what's going on why is the cordless phone dying what was the relevance of that first Mm -hmm. of all (laughs) and i mean i was it supposed to be adding some stress that the line was going to get cut off at any i think it's just to create it's artificial attention yes because i didn't care it was just annoying to me yeah I mean, obviously, Steve Carell is going to be talking to the guy in the basement, right? Like everyone yeah. kind of accepts that that's happening. I mean, by the end, he unplugs the white noise machine. Yeah. I mean, why would you allow this situation? Why? I mean, this seems to be a big house. It probably yeah. has another place you could lock this guy up if you really didn't want them talking to each other. The mom being like, maybe that's where the mom put her foot down. Her mom was just like, you can do this, but only in the basement. (laughs) Only the one level of the house. (laughs) That's right. I am not giving you my walk. You cannot kill where I, in my living area, (laughs) only the backyard. Or in the backyard, Um, maybe the backyard. It's so unbelievable to me. Like, obviously, this is a show where you have to suspend your disbelief, but it's so unbelievable that it just makes me roll my eyes. That's where I feel like if this thing even is able uh, to succeed, I really feel like this is kind of the wrong, I'm going to keep reprimanding ourselves for covering this week to week or my decision to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, this is why I really feel like this should have been, if anything, should have been a movie. Because in a movie, you know, you're a captive audience, you start off and you oftentimes have like a horror movie or something where the beginning is totally outlandish. And then if there is some clever reveal at the end and it all comes fitting together, you appreciate that because it doesn't make you have to suspend your disbelief for months at a time. It only requires a couple of hours, right? Like you don't have to wait until October to find out what's really going on with the mom. Like, you know, that's literally the situation we're in when we have a 10 episode, 10 episode show with 20 minute episodes, which seems preposterous because it almost feels like they artificially cut this script up because Mm -hmm. I thought about this episode at the beginning where we see Sam going to work. And I was thinking in my mind, this is like the second act of a movie, right? So the first act of the movie would be the whole setup. And it ends on the fact that he, you know, despite all this uh, initial interaction, you thought where it's just going to be Alan and Sam, that's actually not the case. And now this third characters come in, he's actually going to try to make this killing. 
and introduces a new character. And then in the second act, we now follow Sam out into the outer world. And now the story opens up. And then with the third act, then, you know, things start to collapse down and we start to realize what's actually happening. It's like traditional movie structure. But by splitting this up into 20 minute increments, it's like that Quibi, <laughs> you know, um, uh, failed a network. I don't know if you know what Quibi is, but during the kind pandemic, of. <laughs> they launched this app called Quibi, which stood for Quick Bites. And they would basically take a one hour movie and cut them into like 10 minute segments. And they're like kind of arbitrarily chopped up into these 10 minute se segments. And I really feel like that's what this is. It's like, and it fails, in my opinion, in the same way. But like you said, I am actually way more interested at this point to know more about the um, Elias character. And there are some mysteries I'm curious about. Like, I think Sam's interactions at work are interesting. He feels humiliated by his boss reading a complimentary email to mm -hmm. the, and he finding out that this is kind of like a template. Like he, they use him as a role model to the other employees. And rather than making this happy, it makes him completely stressed out, which is strange and interesting. And they call him Mr. Efficiency, right? So yeah. he has mm -hmm. some sort of reputation there of being like the perfect employee. And he always brings donuts on his day, but he forgot today because he was a little flustered. Because he's holding someone captive and two people <laughs> captive in his basement. He, he had a murder interrupted <laughs> earlier today. He's a little frustrated. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was going to say it's a mixed bag. It's not even a mixed bag. I feel the same way as you do that even if this thing somehow fit together at the end, like there's a, a clever reveal that ties all this together, you know, maybe as we see more and more of the backstory, it all starts to come together. Even if that's the case, like you said, I think my patience has run out, no pun intended, uh, because yeah. <laughs> because at this point, it's going to be a little too little too late. It would still just be like kind of like, oh, OK, I see how that works. That would be my level of appreciation at this point. Right. Like it would not be like, oh, wow. And it's shocking. I literally just read I didn't read the whole thing, but just the headline for stuff that comes up in my Apple News feed and literally the headline for the New York magazine is the patient is all killer, no filler. You got to watch this thriller. I'm like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, if anything, my biggest shock is the critical acclaim for the show, which I do not know what show they're watching. <laughs> maybe wow. because they see the whole thing. Maybe because they've seen the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, 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 maybe. Maybe. And, and they're trying to get people on board. Uh, you know, all that being said, this is the best episode we've had so far. It really does feel like we are starting to make progress and understanding Sam a little bit more. Alan a little bit more, even that little velocity we got today, as soon as we're feeling like just, well, maybe we're going somewhere. It's like, okay, end of episode. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is like a self-inflicted wound by making these episodes so short or making so many of them, right? This could be six or eight short episodes and make this like a movie length, or you can make this uh, longer episodes and fewer of them. I, there's a hundred ways they could have <laughs> made this a little more compelling for me, I think. Agree. And I still am struggling with the casting as well. I just I Sam, feel like right? maybe I'd be having a better experience if Sam was more intriguing to me, but he is not. I totally agree that the performance isn't giving me much there. But at the same time, he's playing this character that's supposed to be completely closed off, which makes sense in that regard. At the same time, I think that's also part of the way this is structured, where because you have to have 10 episodes, we're basically going to have them have these sessions for the first three or four episodes where he sits down and gives him nothing because all the breakthroughs are going to have to come later on. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if there's going to be 10 episodes and he's going to be a wall for eight of them, how much, you know, how much interest am I going to have in this character no. that I have like no connection to intentionally, you know, once yeah. again, in a movie, you can have a character that you hate and then, you know, turn around on in the end, but that's a two hour commitment, not a yeah. two month commitment. <laughs> so. Yes. 
which is what this comes out to when you think about the way it's being doled out. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that. So here we are. <laughs> Roger Federer just announced his retirement. Not surprising, but given his oh. recent health. Hmm. You heard it here first, everybody. Actually, not true, because by the time I publish this, <laughs> exactly. it's old, old news. <laughs> well, we did find yeah. out that Steve Carell's wife was not an angel, right? Because yes. of this passive aggressive thing she does. So that's yes. something. <laughs> yeah. She, once again, another background character that is more interesting to me than, yes. than the, the main, <laughs> main characters. Another thing I was going to recommend to you that you might like is, do you, not, do you like Aubrey Plaza? I do. I mean, I don't have this fondness for her that some people seem to, but I like her enough. She is in a movie that I just saw called Emily the Criminal. Have you heard about this? I haven't. So I think it's just available now to rent if everybody wants to watch. It was in theaters for <clears throat> about a month. And now it's, you know, as usual with these things, they go to streaming pretty quickly. And I do recommend this a lot. I thought this was very, very good. She gives an exceptional performance. So if you're a fan of hers, definitely check this out. And the story is of this girl who has an assault in her back ground. And we don't find out about the details of that assault until very late in the show. But we find out about it in the opening scene. She basically is a college graduate. She has debts that she has to pay, pay off, like many people could probably sympathize with. And uh, because of this issue she had in her background, she simply can't find work. So she ends up just being a caterer or working for a caterer. She has no unionization. She's not even an employee. So that's another thing that they drive home is kind of the working conditions for these people who are, mm -hmm. you know, they have a lot of debt. They have these aspirations. They grew up thinking, I can be anything I want to be. And of course, that turns out to not be the reality. And they have all this money they have to pay. And because of this conviction she has in her, in her background, in her history, she basically can't find a job. So there's all this kind of social commentary in that. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has thriller elements, by the way, as you know, we've been mostly covering thrillers here. There are a few very thrilling sequences in this, but mostly it's a character study. It's about this girl who was kind of raised to believe she could do anything she wanted to do. And we don't feel like she's entitled or a brat. We really feel sympathetic for this kind of impossible situation she's in. And little by little, she gets brought into a network of people who do, what do they call it? A phantom shoppers, right? Where they use fake credit cards and they get paid to make these transactions and they give them fake IDs, et cetera. She does one crime and then another. And before you know it, she's in way over her head. It's really interesting. The performances are terrific. Uh, it's a small film. And I think that everybody should support it, especially if you like her and, uh, you know, check it out. You can rent it right now at home, or I think it's coming to Showtime soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But yeah, highly recommended. Very good performances. You know, like I said, a couple of really, really thrilling sequences, but mostly this really interesting character study about this girl. Hmm, that sounds really interesting. I enjoyed her a lot in a completely different genre. Um, the, I can't remember the exact name of the movie. It's like, Generic male name and generic male name need wedding dates. Did oh, you see that? Yes. <laughs> I'm not. It's with uh, Zach Efron, I don't know. Right? And Mike the... and David. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember the names either. Yes, but I know, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> like, I want to say Bill and Ted, but that's obviously not it. <laughs> Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Yes. And she's been making some very interesting uh, choices recently, by the way. She, she was in uh, Ingrid Goes West. That also is thriller adjacent. Hmm, haven't heard of it. Oh, it's available on Showtime. There you go. So if you guys want to see another interesting thriller adjacent movie that she's in just from three years ago, four years ago, and it's pretty interesting. She is obsessed with someone she follows on social media 
And she goes to California to basically stalk that person. <laughs> and it's very interesting. It's about, uh, you know, the, the, the film itself is, makes you feel very uncomfortable while you're watching it. But it's about someone who kind of presents as somewhat normal, but <laughs> is not. And, it's not uh, normal. Yeah. And it's, it's not uh, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And it is a comedy, uh, but it is a very disturbing comedy. So, but do check that out. And she gives a re another great performance there. Very unhinged. Uh, you know, very different than the one she gives in this other movie I was recommending. But yeah, check that out too. She's uh, made some very interesting movies recently. Hmm. All right. And for the rest of the episode, Sona, Celia and I have both watched the number one movie in the country right now, this low budget horror movie called Barbarian, which is uh, really suspenseful. And I'll be discussing that with her in the rest of the conversation. But before we get there, I was wondering, did you have anything else you wanted to recommend or anything else you saw this week? In keeping with many of the original recommendation, recommendations I've made, I'm going to talk about something that is very, very old. <laughs> um, I was actually just discussing it with my husband recently. And a disclaimer, I have not rewatched this movie in quite a long time, but I do remember enjoying it and thinking it was a really underrated thriller because it does not sound like it should be good. But um, to me, it's a really good, like, seasonal, creepy type of movie for this time of year. And I think a lot of people have not seen it. It's The Skeleton Key. Have you seen that? Oh, wow. That very long time ago. Yes. Very old with Kate Hudson. Mm -hmm. um, I can't even remember who else is in it. But I think there are a few other uh, pretty well-known actors in it. it. It takes place in... I'm not sure if it's actually New Orleans, but like somewhere, you know, in is. Louisiana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just like establishes that atmosphere so well. And this idea of a voodoo type of religion and like different rituals that people do. And like there's, of course, you know, there's kind of like a twist and stuff like that. Um, but it, what actually brought this to mind is um, and this is is very creepy and speaks to, I guess, how weird I am. Um, when we were out on Long Island a couple of weeks ago, you know, we have this joke about, you know, often the Airbnbs that we find ourselves in seem like the types of places that unsuspecting people could be murdered. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this was in line with that. And so, you know, we had a lot of jokes about uh, how creepy certain things were and, you um, and we were talking about how perhaps the house was haunted by the ghost of a child who had passed. It gets very grim, I guess. But um, <laughs> anyway, there was a fire pit and we were making this fire. Um, really lovely summer night. We're all sitting around the fire pit and someone has put this really, um, you know, people have been gathering wood from the woods around the house. It was like a very wooded area. And um, I guess the landscapers had cleared a lot of branches, but had not actually taken them away yet. So we, they just had to go get them. So there was a particularly big branch that was not burning. And we were kind of saying like, that's weird that that piece of wood just isn't lighting up. And for some reason, my mind went to the skeleton key. I won't go into the, the details of the plot of this movie, but somehow in the dark recesses of my mind, what I came up with is, <laughs> this is very twisted, what if there's something about the tree that that branch came from? Like, what if centuries ago someone was hung from that tree? Wow. And now we can't burn it? Um, and now it's like somehow cursed because somebody was hung from that tree. <laughs> or has the spirit, the spirit of the person. Yeah. Hung. And then I thought, like, where did that come from? And then I thought about, like, where have I seen people being hung in movies? And 
and like creepy things that are associated with that. And I remembered that movie and I remembered how much I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> a genre of people hanging from trees. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> speaking of disturbing images, maybe this. Yes. <laughs> but speaking of disturbing moments of people hanging from trees, is, have you ever seen the movie with Ethan Hawke called uh, Sinister? Have you ever seen Sinister? I thought I saw Sinister in the movie theater with you, Victor. <laughs> we may have. We may have. That movie doesn't all hold up all the way through. It's a little cheesy in some spots. But the opening moments of that film where you see that family, the entire family being hung from a tree, like on some like old found archive film, not a spoiler considering it's literally the opening sequence of the mm. film, is extremely disturbing, especially when you consider that it looks like you know, some kind of ancient found footage. So it is very, very creepy. Just maybe think of that with all this talk of hanging people from trees. <laughs> <laughs> You're typical um, before 10 a.m. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hopefully no one's going to listen to this right before they go to sleep. But sleep tight, everybody. <laughs> and then, of course, we'll be having the barbarian conversation right after this, which is not going to help things either. So. <laughs> I mean, point being, the skeleton key, I'm not 100% sure <laughs> it holds up, but I remember really enjoying it the few times I have watched it. And has a pretty uh, significant twist in it. So if you like twists, check out yes. that one for the twist for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. We will continue to watch The Patient. We'll try to be as patient as we can <laughs> to see <laughs> how it pays off. And once again, honestly, I've said this before, and I think you're going to agree with this, Sona, but if this was a drawn out one hour per week episode, I would be out completely on this show. Yeah. But as a, uh, you know, as a 20 minute commitment, uh, okay, I'll hang in there. And uh, hopefully all this raving that's going on uh, will pay off. Or, you know, maybe I'll just be one of those things where at the end of it, I'm like, I didn't get it. Uh, but next week I will try to coordinate things with Sarah. She did want to have a, a conversation based on last week's episode. And I, I feel she's probably going to agree with it, uh, you know, having this be on the same page, but she did have an interesting uh, insight as a psychologist she has actually treated um sociopaths a couple actually wait sociopaths that were a couple or a couple of sociopaths two different clients that were sociopaths. <laughs> it's like wow they found each other <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of romantic in the end yes <laughs> she was kind of sympathizing with the situation a lot. So it made her, you know, she really put herself in Alan's situation and made an interesting point that Alan is disassociating when he's having these flashbacks. Mm -hmm. so, so as you know, as a way to cope, she's very much reading this as a, the psychological state of Alan. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's an interesting read for, from it, especially someone who has that experience. You know, it made me appreciate things a little bit more, but it also made me feel that if it is that specific, I don't know how it works as entertainment, <laughs> but mm. you know, that remains to be seen. So, all right. Well, thanks for the conversation. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah. I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch.
Jeez. Okay, next topic is Barbarian, the number one movie in the country. This opened well, and I think it's the second worst weekend of this year. And uh, you know, after the big summer movies are no longer being released, the box office has gone pretty hard downhill. Uh, but this was a pretty big hit, actually, and surprisingly, audiences liked it, critics liked it. I, I mean, I think it has like a ninety-something percent. It's very high ratings. We will do spoilers, by the way, but let's have no spoilers at the top of the review. And tell me, what did you think of this movie? This was a fun horror movie. <laughs> I thought that the acting was really good. I didn't know where it was going, which was a plus. I like that when you start out watching the movie, you're pretty convinced something's happening that yeah. isn't. Yes. And then it changes gear. Yeah. I think that you're right. And it, it basically splits in half. There's a, almost exactly down the middle that the uh, movie changes genre in a way. But yes, you think you are reading what's happening in a certain way and you have expectations. That's something that's very clever about it. I agree that it is very genre literate. It's not like a movie that is, this could be a drama and then it turns into a horror movie. This is a movie that's playing with the audience's expectations, assuming they are horror movie literate. Purely, like you said, for fun, this is for fans of horror movies who know exactly what they think they're going to get. And then the movie intentionally uh, subverts that. Yeah, I thought it was really good. It was very creative. Yeah, so this is the first film from a director, Zach Kreger, who also wrote the screenplay in his garage. Apparently, <laughs> he just sat there and tried to scare himself. And that's what he came up with. And he's uh, somewhat famous for The Whitest Kids You Know, <laughs> which was a uh, like a squad of comedians from MTV. MTV had like their own version of not Saturday Night Live, really, but, you know, these kinds of troops of comedians that were pretty popular. But that's another thing I'd say is interesting, even though he is a comedian by his career. Two things I thought are interesting is that he it's really not a comic film at all uh, early on. It kind of really does a good job with the tension. But then surprisingly, about that halfway point, when we shift gears for the first time, that uh, there's a lot of comedy in this. And I was surprised the comedy works almost as well as everything else does. That part where I laughed the most, I didn't laugh throughout the whole movie. It wasn't like a comedy comedy, <laughs> but um, there was a few spots. But one spot was really funny. And again, it's a spoiler. <laughs> it is a spoiler. Yeah. All right. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I'll tell you what I thought was the funniest part of the movie. And I don't know if it's a thing you're going to say as well. I'm going to set up the premise of the film and then we'll get into spoilers after that. Okay. So the premise of the film, for those who haven't seen the trailers, and I have tried to avoid trailers for anything I plan to see. So I did not see trailers for this, although I did see the tra trailer after the fact. And uh, I'm surprised that this is one of those trailers that did not give away too much. I, I refuse to watch trailers at this point because I have multiple times just in this past year seen movie trailers where they show you the beginning, the middle, and the end. Like literally, they show you some of the last shots in the film. And I know people who say, oh, I like to see that because as soon as the trailer is over, I forget the whole entire thing. I'm not like that. I remember everything. So when I'm watching the movie in the movie theater, the trailer, I should say in the movie theater, I am guessing where these scenes go. And oftentimes I will simply guess the ending of the movie. And then I show up in the movie theater and the exact thing I thought beginning, middle and end is exactly what I end up seeing. And I get so frustrated. So in general, I do not watch trailers, but I would say that this trailer doesn't give away too much, maybe a little too much for my taste, but still it does a pretty good job of not doing that. But the premise of the film, we meet this woman, Georgina Campbell playing Tess, and she is in Detroit. 
She's a documentarian. She's there for an interview with another famous documentarian. She shows up in Airbnb. And when she gets there, she can't get inside. But then as she gets back into her car, it's raining, it's a stormy night. The light goes on inside. And when she goes, knocks on the door, someone answers the door. It turns out that the Airbnb has been double booked. And the actor who's playing this is Bill Skarsgård, who is uh, Alexander Skarsgård's brother. And also, much more importantly, he plays Pennywise in the It movies. So, of course, once again, as far as setting up our expectations, if you are a fan of horror, this guy shows up at the door and you're like, he's got to be some kind of killer, right? So that is a very intentional casting, of course. And they have a pretty interesting conversation. She, to her credit, is very wary. She's not comfortable with the situation. And they do a pretty good job of setting up all these strange microaggressions. And I would say one of the things that I think is really well done here and one of the themes in this film, uh, and it leads to the most comedic moment, which I won't spoil yet, but it is how men and women basically deal with the exact same circumstance in a completely different way. Tess shows up and she's like, this could be a very threatening situation. Bill's being very kind. Oh, she's like, don't go get my bag out of the car. He goes and gets the bag out of the car. He thinks he's being a nice guy. She's like, I might not want to stay here tonight, right? So there's all these little things that are happening. And I think the film does a great job of playing out this tension from these two very different perspectives. And you can't get a read on this character, Bill Skarsgård's character, Keith, for quite some time. And they spend the first night together we won't get into spoilers, but you know, some strange things start to happen during that first night. And that's where I'll leave it for now. But I will just simply say that you may think you know where the story's going, but absolutely not going where you think it's going. And that is one of the pleasures of the film. So definitely don't spoil yourself on it. Go in there knowing just that. It's kind of like an Airbnb horror movie, potentially. That's what they want you to believe going in. So I'll say you may think you know where the twist is coming, but you don't. <laughs> um do you want to say anything else before we get into spoilers? No, because everything I have to say is going to spoil something. <laughs> it's going to spoil something else. Okay. All right. So go see the movie. Avoid spoilers to enjoy it fully. It's very entertaining. I don't think it's as great as everybody's saying it is. It's definitely en enjoyable. And if you want like just a WTF as you're watching the movie, just being like, what? What? And laughing and jumping and having just a straight up fun, like Celia said, horror movie experience. And I like all different kinds of horror movie experiences, but this is one of those fun ones. Definitely go and have a, have a blast. It's I saw it in the nearly empty theater. I think it's the type of movie that if you can see it in the full theater, it's way more fun. Okay, so let's jump into spoilers. Okay, so everybody, once again, warning, in effect, we're going to spoil. Let's spoil in chronological order. So if you want to get a little bit spoiled versus very, very spoiled. Uh, hey. Uh, the laundry's still in wash, um, uh, but I thought, um, well, I'm wide awake, so, so I, um, it's gonna be a bit not, I thought I'm gonna have some of this here wine, but I didn't want to open it before, um, you got out of the shower, because I, I noticed you didn't drink your tea, and, would, well, I totally get that, by the way, I mean, you don't know me, and, and this is a really weird situation, it makes total sense. Um, but I thought that, um, you know, you might want some of this, but if I open it while you weren't here, that, um, that, um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm rambling, Jesus Christ. Um, I thought you wouldn't want any if you didn't see me open it, so I waited. I'm good.
Okay, so the first spoiler is that Tess comes back to the house the next day. She survives the night, so this does go on beyond the day. She goes out. Let me ask you this question. Tess and Keith, you know, she like lets her guard down. It's very funny that she refuses the drink, and then she finds out that this guy is actually part of this group that she may be documenting, and like the, they immediately cut to her having a glass of wine with him, right? So I thought that was interesting how she was like her... Uh, alert alarm was so high and then all of a sudden she got very relaxed around him but i also thought that their flirtation was actually kind of sweet and genuine right i thought they were cute i'm like they're a cute couple <laughs> yeah too bad he's it might work out but no gonna kill her <laughs> right right you know and at that he point, really likes her and at that point what did you think at that point what the story was i thought all right i mean this guy can't be like a secret guy who kills people because it's too obvious. Yeah. So they're not going to do that because that is exactly how it reads. Yeah. But I'm like, but that can't be it. Something else is happening. Maybe, but he's a part of it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. He is shady in some way. I thought it was going to be like a crime thriller. That's what I thought at this point. Once again, this movie is intentionally playing with your your, your movie literacy. And uh, I thought for a long time that it was going to be kind of a, a, a crime thriller. Like, for example, he might be part of some criminal pact. They might have a kidnap victim or something. And, and, you know, there's always the one good guy who like almost breaks away from the pack. So I thought that this he was going to be like he starts having feelings for her. She gets caught up in this thing. And then it becomes like a, a thriller, like a, a crime thriller by the end. And honestly, that was my going in uh, assumption. And then when she ends up uh, returning that next day and she ends up locking herself in the basement stupidly, <laughs> they once again lets her guard down after being so sharp early on. She starts being kind of dumb and uh, she goes downstairs, the door locks behind her and she finds the secret passageway and then they find that room. And once again, I was like, oh, I think I'm right on the money. This is where they keep these girls. So I thought I was still in the same camp. Uh, and then, of course, he shows up and she gives him the key so that she can come inside. And then we have uh, one again, once again, those kind of interesting perspective moment where you have this perspective of a man versus perspective of a woman where she's saying the right thing. Something really crazy is happening in the basement. We got to get the hell out of this house. <laughs> and I his, thought yeah. he was a werewolf. <laughs> wow, a werewolf. And was I, I chaining <laughs> himself to the wall in the basement, <laughs> wow. but didn't want her to know about it. Wow, and that he hadn't even rented the Airbnb. He had been living there for years, maybe, and built himself this room where he could chain himself to the wall because he was going to be a vampire. <laughs> no, a not a vampire, a werewolf. <laughs> I was like, wow, they're just changing that. <laughs> but, or he uh, could have been a vampire, too, because when she met him, it was dark. And when she yeah. went back, it was dark. But he's outside though, right? When he, oh, I see. Wait, this is still when he just found, we, at that point where he just found the room. At that, you're still thinking that, right? Yeah. He's, he's out in the, he's out in the daylight the next day. Uh, and by the way, werewolves can go out of the daylight. They just can't, uh, they just change. But I thought he would chain himself to the basement during full moons. Right. And that's what was going on out there. <laughs> it's true. I'm like, is he a werewolf? Is he chaining himself to the wall? Why is there so much blood? So then when he goes, he had, so when he doesn't take her word for it, and once again, uh, going back to that motif of the fact that she's like, look, we got to get the hell out of here. And it's questionable as to whether he's kind of saying, oh, hold on a second. I didn't see what you were saying. This might make sense. I just want to go check it out. Okay. 
And they should just be walking out the door. And of course, he has to go and look. And once again, of course, we watching this think that he must be involved with this somehow for him to go down in that basement. And then she follows him down there. By the way, she's pretty smart up until this point because she like sets up that mirror so that she has light going down that hallway. So all of that is pretty well done. But then she makes a really stupid mistake, <laughs> which is that she follows him down when she, even if he's injured, she should be calling the cops and saying like, uh, th this is happening right now at this moment, he's screaming for help. And then maybe then after that, go and explore, right? But not before, not before. That's when they go down to the lower part and even lower part of the basement. And that's when they discover that there is some crazy inbred lady down there and smashes Keith's head to bits. Then I knew he wasn't in on it. <laughs> At that point, we knew he wasn't involved. That is when I knew. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, he's not <laughs> right. in on this. And that's the halfway point. So they take, basically take you exactly to the half of the film and basically change gears. And this is where some of the real big comedy comes from. You have Justin Long show up and uh, play against type. He gets to play like, you know, he has this demeanor. And apparently in real life, everybody says how what a nice, sweet guy he is and playing like a real shit here, <laughs> but still very funny. And he, you know, has a me too moment moment. He like he's losing representation. His whole career is falling apart. And he decides to go back to Detroit to see if he can make some money and sell off some of these properties he has, rental properties. And of course, one of them is this house in this neighborhood. By the way, the only nice house in this entire neighborhood, I guess, that I can't believe that thing's still getting Airbnb out. That neighborhood is a disaster, <laughs> like disaster. Who is maintaining this house? The inbred yeah. girl? No, it must be the uh, like a property manager. He has a I property guess, manager. Yeah, that would be the only way. Could, but how is the inside even looking so good? Yeah, I just can't believe it hasn't been like overrun by you know the, the population because like, every other house there has been completely <laughs> decimated, which is the case in many neighborhoods in Detroit. But this really seems to be like not like some of the houses in the neighborhood are completely collapsing and um, unmaintained. It's like this is the only nice house in the entire neighborhood. It's a little, little questionable. They must never rent it out because they double booked her in the sky. Well, I think, it, I mean, this is actually something that does happen sometimes. It was, she went through Airbnb and he went through VRBO. So he's using two different websites, which often is the case. So, you know, there's just a mistake where the calendars didn't synchronize. So it is something that does happen. So it's not uncommon, actually, this can happen. So the funniest part, he is such a narcissist. He's <laughs> yes, such a is, jerk. Yes. It's, you cannot sympathize with him. There comes no. a point where, his honor becomes questionable. Yes. Oh, yes. And I just assume he did this thing. Yes. Um, but but in a way that like even he didn't think was a big deal because he's such a jerk. Right. He is so funny. So when he gets captured, <laughs> she's like. Before we get there, before we get there, I want to say that my funniest part in the whole film does revolve around Justin Long, but it comes before then, which is that once again, seeing things in completely different ways, she sees that downstairs and she's like, nope, no way. I'm not even going in there. Right. And then, you know, little by little, she does start to explore. But his perspective is hilarious where he sees the rope, he pulls it and then the trap door opens up and he finds that extra room. And he immediately see him on the internet Googling whether you can claim that, uh, you know, uh, extra footage, you know, housing footage and on your listing. And he's just like, Oh my God, my house is so much bigger than I thought. He's like so excited. <laughs> he is like so delusional. <laughs> yes. And then he goes to that lower part. He's got the he cages and question. stuff around. He's got what did cages you think that was doing there? <laughs> exactly. When he gets into like underground labyrinth, like what the hell does he think is going on there? Did he think it was 
like there forever and you just never noticed. <laughs> exactly. That's and what he's I think he must He's like, ooh, look, nine feet. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know this was here when I bought this house. Yeah, he's like, oh, my God, look at all this extra space I have. <laughs> it's so crazy. Hilarious. When he was on the computer Googling that, I'm like, yes. what is he still doing in that house? <laughs> right. I would have like been standing outside in horror, driving he's away, excited. calling he's for excited. help. He's excited yep. by this. <laughs> oh, that was the funniest. I was laughing out loud at that. I thought it was funny when they were in the pit <laughs> yes, and the she was trying to feed them. Yes. And she, the other, what is that actress's name? She's like, you don't understand. <laughs> don't get mad. You don't, don't understand. Don't freak out. She'll freak out. Like, don't get upset. You know, and he is so confused and he cannot drink that, <laughs> but she does. Oh, yeah. She, that's how she survived. So gross. It's got like hair on it. <laughs> so gross so gross and it just like jiggles when she like moves her hand back and forth that's it's, it's so something, gross there's something it's extra like gross about old it. plastic it's so old exactly it's been down there for decades it looks like a condom exactly exactly it was like this wiggly thing <laughs> yes it's so gross yes gross. and then of course he doesn't drink from the bottle and she's just like well there's another way i could feed you and it's like monster breast milk yes yes ew <laughs> right from the tap that's why she learned. She's Gross. just like, I'll drink it from the bottle. It's better than the other thing. That is so disgusting. But that was funny. He's just like, no way. But <laughs> exactly. his face. Yes, yes, he's great. And then we flash back 40 years and we find out, uh, you know, this is during the, you know, before the white flight uh, from Detroit, basically uh, after integration that people started to move out of these neighborhoods. And we could tell it's the 80s because of the, you know, the talk about Reagan on the radio. And we also see very nice production design. We see the same neighborhood, but of course, everything rebuilt and, and, and new and, and fresh. But of course, the person who lives in that house is a creeper who is kidnapping women and having sex with them in the basement and recording it and having these children. It's really disgusting, <laughs> this whole situation. One more crazy twist in this whole entire movie. Yeah. And he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. And he's down he there. Has, and his daughter is down there. This is like the uh, daughter. Or his the, granddaughter. Well, I mean, she like, so the mom is no longer around, obviously. She gave well, birth. Well, they said they would give birth. Right. And then they, he would then have them give birth again. Yeah, the homeless guy in the neighborhood basically describes this as, you know, multi-generational uh, incest here. Although it's question, I mean, it's possible. I'm just wondering what, um, what generation basically this... Uh, mother is and the mother's so creepy she's like baba baba you already <laughs> had someone when we go back so yes. if he started when he was 25 then oh they might have been down there could, that's a good point i'm thinking 45, like this 55 yeah. yeah he could have been doing this for years i was taking it too literally where it was you know for example we we flashed back about 40 years and i'm like is this woman 40 years old like it's the baby from that time but i see what you're saying like if this was going on for a while then that means that he already had like this maybe multi-generation brood down there of, of these creatures and you know he's just making more of them right and this is what you get <laughs> yes yes when you inbreathe like four times right and now the movie becomes like, you know, the Hills Has Eyes or something is one of these like, you know, mutated, not cannibals, I guess, but these mutated people movies. So yet another genre that we slip into and did not see that one coming at all. Like not, not, in, not in the slightest. In the end, it, you're still sad because it's not her fault. Oh, of course. That she yeah. is such a monster. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Bang, bang. Right. So it's kind of a, 
a sad twist there at the end. Yeah. So uh, just, uh, I mean, for anybody who's <laughs> watching this without <laughs> watching the movie, that, yeah, basically at the end, they make it out of the house, Justin Long and Tess, uh, or AJ is the character Justin Long plays. He did run into the father, this like multi, your grandfather, great grandfather, what is this guy at this point, uh, who's killed himself when he finds out that AJ tells him that the cops are on the way, which of course is not true. The cops don't even want to intercede. They think that Tess, who broke out of the house, by the way, very sadly, breaks out of the house, tries to get the cops' attention. And they're like, she's just some crack addict. Like, I'm going to make you sleep this off at the police station because she looks like a mess, obviously. She's been living down there for weeks at this point, <laughs> drinking this gross breast milk. <laughs> it's her only sustenance, probably. She's and- so greasy. Her hair's <laughs> matted. Exactly. She's like, probably covered in feces <laughs> exactly and then uh, aj having found the dad also finds the gun and they eventually separately have escaped and they bust out of there she's actually driven her car she had her keys with her car keys with her drives the car and runs down the mother character this giant mutant lady then aj escapes as well comes back to help him she actually comes to rescue him and uh, he accidentally shoots her she's has a pretty bad wound actually so he thinks he might she might die and uh, so they, they bust out of there. That homeless guy who saw him as a threat earlier actually turns out to be trying to help him out, says, come stay with me. Another funny scene in the movie, by the way, <laughs> is that he's like, come stay with me. If you stay here, you'll be safe. I've lived here my whole entire life and she's never come and gotten me. So if we just stay here, we'll be fine. And that second she like busts in and like kills him. <laughs> yeah, because she only comes out at night. You know, yeah. what's funny, too, when the first homeless guy was like, don't go in there. Yes, yes. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. Yeah. Don't go in there, little girl. No, I thought it was a different guy. No, same guy. Same guy. He just, you know, warned her the first time and then, you know, he pulls her out the second time. So threatening. Don't go in there. <laughs> Don't go in there. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, be clear in your language, by the way. Be like, there's something crazy in that house. You need to get out there. You're in danger. Don't be like, Don't go in there, little girl. <laughs> just sounds a threat. Just yeah. Sounds, just sounds threatening. Yeah, so then AJ uh, and uh, her are trying to escape. They're riding up this uh, abandoned silo, which is where this homeless guy lives. And they get to the top and AJ kind of has a moment earlier, a moment of like, well, am I really a bad guy? You know, I, I don't think I'm a bad guy, but maybe I did hurt that. You know, maybe I, I need to pay some consequences. And you think this is going to be a redemption moment for him. And he's just like, I could get away if I throw you off from here. He shoves her off the silo and is just like, go get your baby to, to, the, to the mama, to the mother character. Uh, and she, does. she loves her. She does. She jumps and tries to rescue her. And uh, it looks like they're both dead, but they both survive because the mother like literally put herself you know, under her. So she broke her fall, although she's still badly injured. He goes down and that's another very funny scene, by the way. I mean, Justin Long doing great comedy work here. He's like, oh, my God, oh, I saw you slipping. I tried to grab your hand. <laughs> Him tried to talk himself out of like how he was actually trying to help her, but he shoved her off. Roof is hilarious, but Mama knows he's lying, and she sticks her nasty nails right into his eyeballs, <laughs> and uh, blind, so and, uh, and then like basically destroys his head, <laughs> completely smushes his head. What kind of life could she have had though if she stayed with her new mommy because she loved her so much? Yes, yeah, she wants to go back with her. And she could have just... tamed her and like turned her into kind of like a pet. She could have brought her upstairs and given her a shower and combed her hair at least. No, I mean, <laughs> the kidnapped woman should have. Oh, had the life, her quality of life down there? They could go out and hunt together at night, maybe eat mice or something. No, but she could have turned her. She could have been like, okay, she wants me to be her baby, and I'm just going to train her like you would a lion. Yeah, she, she could, could be a around. lion tamer. 
She's going to call. She has her cell phone. That Now that she's back, she can grab her cell phone. She's going to get that documentary crew there. And she's going to get rich making a documentary about this, this inbred family down in the basement. Not just that. She could drag the mama around like you would a dog on a leash. Like, come here, mama. Come here, mama. And she would like trample over, you <laughs> yeah. know, and just be like looking at people dressed weird, all gross. That could be like one of those with, Walter Hauser stories or something like, you know, raised by wolves. It's like, you know, she would be one of the most famous people. She'd be doing Oprah, you know, Baba, Baba. That's, <laughs> Baba. I like to think, you know, on the bright side of stuff. So if, <laughs> yeah. if this happened to me, I'd be like, okay, okay. I'm going to tame her. Um, right. She loves me. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into, I'm going to train this bear. And then this bear is going to do anything for me or this lion will do anything I say. Exactly. Anything. Exactly. In the real world. That's right. We didn't have to kill her. Yeah. She have to die. I feel bad that she died. I feel like it was a waste. (laughs) Yeah. Mother could have survived that. She could have. With the right training, mother, she could have uh, survived out there in the world. All right. And maybe this will be set up that next conversation we have about that other movie, which we won't bring up yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes people talk about horror and thrillers. And what I think is interesting, I never thought about this until very recently, I was reading an article, Anne Radcliffe, which was one of the first Gothic poets of 19th century. She was part of that romantic movement of the Gothics that that really led to the whole genre of horror, right? So what I found interesting is that she described the difference between terror and horror. With terror, she said that terror was the anticipation of something bad happening, but that terror was, you know, so let's make that analogy to thrillers or suspense movies, that it was like something that opened your senses up. And she thought horror was cheap because what it was is it presented you with that thing you were afraid of seeing. And in presenting it to you, it was like nihilistic. It wasn't like opening up up possibilities of like what is coming around the corner, what's coming after me, activating your imagination by presenting you with something by horrifying you, it had basically nullified any of that imagination. And as a matter of fact, it was almost like like a nihilistic act. So she was very anti-horror. Not that we have to use that as a frame, but I did think it was interesting because I think she's touching on something which is legitimately true, the difference between suspense and horror. Because oftentimes I'll ask people, hey, do you want to talk about a horror movie? And so many people tell me I don't like horror movies, but they like thrillers. They like suspenseful movies, but they do not like horror or what they define as horror. Another thing I find very interesting about talking about horror is how everybody has a different definition of horror. Like, for example, people want fun horror like this one, right? And I'm not a huge fan of fun horror, although I, you know, I enjoy it, but I don't put it at the top of my list. And then I often like, I like transgressive horror, a film that almost is like showing me something I don't want to necessarily see. And I think only horror can really do that as a genre. But then I don't know who I'll recommend that movie to other than you, maybe, <laughs> because uh, most people will be like, why did you make me watch that? Like, you know, they're completely traumatized by it it's uh, so disturbing right and then but that's my that's what i think is interesting everybody has a different definition of horror so it's very hard to get a film like for example malignant is a horror movie and some people love that and some people hate that movie because it's so campy and then you know the movie you know uh, like the exorcist for example is maybe one of the few films where you kind of have that consensus because do you like jump scares you get jump scares do you like one thing that i really like about horror movies is that it takes a very strong technical director to be able to pull off a horror movie. It's one of the most well-crafted movies of all times, The Exorcist I'm talking about, right? 
So it, it checks all those boxes. Like, are you looking for this? You got it. Are you looking for this? You got it. Do you like supernatural horror? You got it, right? It's like, it's all in there. But most of the time people are unhappy with that. You know, you have a movie like The Strangers and they're like, it's not supernatural. Or, you know, you have a movie that's very serious, like you watch Hereditary or something, and people be like, it doesn't have enough jump scares. And I'm like, okay, jump scares don't mean horror movies, right? Circling around. What's your definition of a horror movie? For me, a horror movie is not wanting to see what's coming next, like being horrified at what's coming next. And that slow build of anxiety and dread, every new scene becomes like probably the scene because now you're getting closer to the end of the movie. And also quiet scenes where nothing's happening gives me a sense of dread also because I feel like something's about to happen. So to me, a horror movie is what my imagination is doing during this horror movie before I even get to the worst part. And the movies I like, I can't hate them. I like them, but I don't know if I, I, I felt very uncomfortable watching them and I won't recommend them to other people. <laughs> right, right. Like I like those movies because yeah. I felt something yeah, yeah. very intensely for a really long time. Right, right. Consistently, that's a horror movie for me. To me, a horror movie is not like, you know, laugh, 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 jump scare. Yeah, right. Ooh, gross. You know, that's, right. to me, that's... um. I don't know what that is. That's not my thing. Right. So I don't watch a lot of that. But that is way more enjoyable than what I described is a horror movie. Right. You don't want to be disturbed, do you? Like, why do people watch horror movies? So are they watching horror movies because they want to feel something intensely and they want to be uncomfortable and scared and turned off? Or do they want to see a horror movie because something scary will happen and then it nullifies it a little? It somehow makes things less scary. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the point of the jump scare is, is right, is to like, you know, turn it into a joke almost. And that became, there was like a whole genre of movies, you know, after Scream, which is excellent. But after that, there was kind of like the slasher film became more prevalent again. There were a bunch of like PG-13 even movies that came out and they were just like jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. And the whole purpose was to like be in a movie theater and just be waiting for the next jump scare. A movie that's just nothing but loud noises to make you jump is like, that is not horror. <laughs> like, you know, horror needs to be more than that. I mean, those are horror movies, right? Because oftentimes they have something horrific in them, but I just felt like, you know, horror could be so much more than that. And for me, I really like horror films that allow you to play with ideas that you really can't play with in any other genre of movie, right? Like that's why I think Hereditary, for example, became such a famous film and was so effective because it is all about this tra trauma of this family and maybe a bunch of mentally ill people, right? And the metaphor of that is you, you can read it as being that this supernatural um, you know, curse that they have on them is this depression or whatever mental illness they have. And it just goes from generation to generation and they're all afraid of having it. And then at the end, of course, you know, speak to your point, it all turns out all that crazy shit is all true people. It's all friggin' true. Right. And it's, uh, you know, that's why the ending is so disturbing as well. But to, honestly, the most disturbing parts of that movie are just the scenes where she admits spoilers for hereditary, everybody, where she admits that she tried to like burn them that, and, and, you know, and, and he remembers it too. And it's like, this is this scar that they have between the mother and the son. Right. So it's like, it's such a traumatic film, but it allows you to 
talk about, you know, if you have a movie where people are just talking about mental illness or something, you probably wouldn't be allowed to make a popular film about it, but you put it in the context of a horror film and all of a sudden it's very popular, right? So I think that's what's kind of interesting about the genre in general. What do you like besides that? Like, do you prefer really like intense horror movies where it's just like, oh my God, I don't know if I could watch this. Do you like those? I, it's yes and no. Like I, you know, for me, you know, David Lynch is my favorite director. So I like the psychological fear of that. Like for me, the most horrific thing is when you can't trust your, you can't trust your own sanity basically. Right. And that's what Lynch puts you in that headspace, which I think is incredible. And then, uh, you know, I also do like uh, another one of my favorite directors is David Cronenberg. And I really like the body horror thing too, where like your body betrays you. So those are two things, you know, very loosely, but like the thing, which is not a David Cronenberg movie, that's John Carpenter, but you know, another great film because of the same thing where it's like, you can't trust your own body. You can't trust who's around you. They may not even know that they're this thing or not. So that kind of paranoia about your own uh, mental state or, you know, um, your own body, you're betraying you, right? Is uh, really powerful for me. And I think those are the ones that I, really like the most, but you know, I can't say that, you know, th that is a genre of movie, but it doesn't always work. They're not always good, <laughs> you know, although, you know, those two directors are much better at doing it than basically anybody else, but those are probably my favorites, but I do like, you know, almost like the history of horror. I like all of these different genres. So I do find like the evil dead, right. Which is not even a horror movie, in my opinion, it's like a comedy really, but I do like Sam Raimi's over the top style and that uh, evil dead Two is hilarious and, you know, gruesome at the same time, Peter Jackson's Australian films like dead alive. So, you know, before he did the Lord of the Rings films Dead alive is right in vain of evil dead, for example, or malignant, a recent kind of over the top, crazy, very entertaining horror film. I can enjoy those, but I don't even consider them horror. I mean, that's almost playing with horror conventions and then making a comedy or an action movie or something else, which I enjoy. I enjoy because I just a general fan of horror. But for me, the ones that like stick with me are, like I said before, like the more psychological ones or these ones where, you know, you, you can't trust, you know, your own experience of the world, which is the most disturbing thing to me. <laughs> That's why I watched uh, like the father, uh, the movie with Anthony Hopkins about him having dementia and how, Every time he walks into another room, he's like seeing different people. He's in a different context because he's in his own mind, his own deteriorating mind. And for me, that is a straight up horror movie. Like that is maybe the most horrific thing I've ever seen because people are actually dealing with that every single day, which is a nightmare when you think about it for real. Yeah. Psychological is definitely, definitely my most uncomfortable to watch horror movies. I don't know why I feel so uncomfortable though watching these movies yet i am addicted to these movies speaking well, of mental disorders well for me i think it goes back to what you said earlier i just like something that makes me feel something even if it's something i don't agree with necessarily or i you know seek out on a day-to-day -day basis i just like having like a visceral uh, experience so for example i saw everything everywhere all at once which is not a horror movie at all so it was such a life-affirming beautiful incredible movie and unfortunately, I don't have those experiences with those type of films all the time. Oftentimes, there'll be films that are trying to do that, trying to be uplifting or whatever. And I just feel they're manipulative and they don't, don't make me feel anything. I can appreciate what they're doing. I can appreciate why other people have those emotional reactions, but I don't have an emotional reaction to it. So it's the rare thing as opposed to you know with horror movies. Actually, I take that back too, because most horror movies, most popular ones are trying to have an effect on me. And I rarely have that experience. To be totally honest, with Barbarian even, my 
main reaction to Barbarian that made me recommend it, that would make me recommend it, wasn't you know the structure of the film or whatever. I actually thought when they changed gears, it was a little disappointing for me. But I, my greatest appreciation of it was I have no idea what's going to happen in the next scene and good for you. <laughs> you know, like I am like the most jaded film goer. Like I always know exactly what's going to happen, you know, within 10 minutes of a movie starting. I had no idea what's going to happen in this movie. I'll give it credit, kudos for that for sure. So I thought it was fun. Yeah, it is. I fun. think if yeah. you want to go out and not take yourself too seriously yeah. and even for teenagers. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this is like, definitely, yeah, this is a date night. This is a date night movie. This. Yes. This yeah. is a date night movie. Yeah. Yeah. This Absolutely. Is yeah. Yeah. And it's this cool. Is, right. Like it's a oh, cool yeah. movie to watch. Yeah. And it, I mean, and it is a horror movie. Like there are moments of it, like, especially when you think about the backstory for this poor character, this uh, mother character, there is true horror in there, like real life horror that they're dealing with, but it doesn't keep it from being a fun movie. So I think that it, in that way, it's definitely a cut above. I just don't think it's like, you know, exceptional. I don't think I'll remember this movie <laughs> in five months. I doubt I'll remember I even saw it, but, uh, but it was a lot of fun to watch. And like I said, I saw it in an empty theater. I think if I'd seen this in a packed theater, it would have been way more fun. Anyway, I'll send you some links of stuff you might want to catch up on. And then we will decide uh, not only what we'll discuss next, but like when we're going to have it in there, because we're going to be talking about House of the Dragon over the weekend on, on Sunday or Monday. We are going to be talking. I'm going to talk to Sona about The Patient and Do Revenge, by the way. We, you may want to watch that. And, and entertaining like uh, Heather's Cross with Strangers on a Train. That's liter literally the what it is with uh, Mia Hawke, the uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter in it. And it's supposed to be like a comedy thriller and it's supposed to be good. It's on Netflix as of today. So we're going to be talking about that next week and uh, also uh, have Ray and Nick coming on the show to talk about the first two episodes of the new Star Wars show Andor, which is actually supposed to be good. I haven't liked any of these Star Wars shows. This one's supposed to be good. So that will be next week. And I don't know, we, maybe we'll have to put in a fourth episode. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's possible for <laughs> four episodes in a week. Maybe, maybe we'll have to push it out to the following week, but we'll, we'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. Anyway, I'll send you some stuff to watch and uh, hopefully give you lots of nightmares. Yep. It's good. <laughs> All right. The, uh, you know, handmaiden. Has oh, come that, back, that, oh so yes. That's, that's been true. pretty awesome. Yeah. I can't talk to you about that because you are never going to catch up. I am so far behind. So far. Behind. Wow. You should though. So good. <laughs> All right. Enough about that. We, I mean, we should get into that once the season gets going. You can just review it on your own, but we will save that till there's more episodes available. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.